Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Nuts in a Pod. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Emery. And we have a special guest today who has actually decided to remain anonymous. So we'll be calling her A during this episode. A, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me, you guys. Thanks for coming. And I want to give everyone a trigger warning that we will be talking about child abuse during this episode. All right. So... Emo, let's hear that business. Business, that's what I do. Uh, we are Two Nuts in a Pod on 106.5 Forward Radio. You can listen to us anytime at forwardradio.org. You can also find us on streaming services, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, CastBox. There's a lot of them. You can also find us on social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram. On Facebook, it's Two Nuts in a Pod, two spelled out as the number two. And then on Instagram, it's Two Nuts in a Pod, but it's the number two. And then you can also email us anytime, two nuts in a podcast at gmail.com. Email us questions, email us fan mail, email us anything you want. We'll answer it in a timely fashion. All right. Cool. So quick. Yeah. You're getting so fast at that. I know, I'm, I'm proud really, of you, man. Really, really very good at it. Yep. Thank you. Um, you're going to be like saying it in your sleep soon. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan's going to come in your room and be like, dude, please you're stop. getting weird. <laughs> please stop, stop making the radio show. It's making you weird. <laughs> okay. So our first segment, uh, is going to be, how are you for real? Which is when we ask people the question, how are you? Totally normal question that gets asked all the time, but usually has totally BS answers when people are like, I'm good, fine, can't complain. And TGIF. Yeah, (laughs) we're not doing that. We want to actually know how each person is doing. Let's do a quick role play. Okay. um, So I'll know, I'll I'll ask you. So, hey, Lizzie, how are you? Fine. Okay, good. All right. All right. Um, See you later. Great catching up. Okay, I don't care. Okay, bye. (laughs) So that's what we're not going to do. So we don't do that. Yeah, that's not very effective at all. Yeah. Let me try it again. So we're going to do it for real. Let's do it for real. Hey, Lizzie, how are you for real? Today I am frazzled. I feel like I didn't even get dressed until like two minutes before I came here. Like working from home, I just look like... A total like slug all day. Like I just wear my pajamas, and like I'm lucky I even have like the wherewithal to brush my teeth. Like it's really hard to motivate working from home to like be a person. So that I'll like suddenly at the end of the day be like, oh my god, what am I doing? I'm like a cave person. I gotta like make myself presentable. So this took a lot of work. <laughs> Two minutes of work. Nobody knows what you look like, but you look great. I was showing, showcasing my outfit, which is the only thing I had control over. My hair and makeup look like crap. Um, but anyway, so I'm frazzled today. I don't have any makeup on, so my makeup can't look like crap. <laughs> I just look like crap. <laughs> but yeah, I'm frazzled today. I just am really stressed out about the course I'm teaching. It's going to be online. And I thought that I would be into that, but like... I'm such an elder millennial that I am really struggling with switching formats and stuff and trying to make it engaging online and just revising the course. So I've been anxious about that today. And then also was just having issues with a coworker today. And it's just a little stressful. I hate I hate like when things are awkward and it's just like not a good interaction and then it's by email. So Mm, it's like, Mm. there's really nothing to do about it. And I just had to be assertive and whenever I have to be assertive, even though I'm super polite about it, when I have to be assertive with someone, I immediately, my people pleasing kicks in and I just like shrink and I'm like, why did I do that? Like, how dare I, you know, put my foot down or stand up for myself or be adamant about something but uh today i had to do that and so it just made me a little uncomfortable kind of put my anxiety levels higher today but i'm actually really glad that i said something and i talked to a couple people about it and just got their support on it and so i'm still feeling like overwhelmed just from the day but you know otherwise I'm pretty good. It's nice to be so 
today I was like so sucked into work that the hours just like disappeared and that hasn't Mm -hmm. happened to me in a while so even if it's like a little bit stressful planning the course like I get into this hyper focus mode almost like this flow state where I just lose time and that's kind of nice it's nice to lose time during the quarantine (laughs) it's like that's all we want to do is just make this time pass like while we're all stuck you know in our own brains. <sighs> so yeah, I'm frazzled. I'm okay. Okay. Frazzled and okay. Hey, how are you for real? <laughs> uh, well, to start with some body sensations, I have a lot of anxiety. Um, I'm about to be really vulnerable with the public about my story. My hands are clammy. <laughs> but I had an interesting start to my day. I had a second class this morning online zoom class with a teacher who's teaching me Ayurvedic nutrition oh yeah so I started that this week and I didn't get much sleep last night so that's kind of worn on me throughout the day but I have been going through some personal relationship I wouldn't call them issues just kind of I guess it's part of getting to know someone and fears and things that they have and growing pains yeah and um a lot of the issues came to the forefront of our relationship last night and i've kind of been dwelling on that throughout the day but all is good you know that's we have a strong relationship and then there's the pressure of i'm getting ready to move to a different city and then he's been living in the city for over a month now and uh, there's just been a lot of stress around that. So other than that, I'm still like, I don't want to use the word excited to be on the show, but I'm just really grateful to be here and be able to share this story with everyone. Awesome. All right. Emery, how are you for real? For real, I am mm, going to go with two M words, moody and magical. Okay. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> I know. It's a little wild. feeling a little spunky today. Spunky, too, is a good one. Uh, so a little moody. Yeah, I just, I don't know why, but today it just, um, I guess maybe from maybe a little too much social media, maybe too much of reading certain things that kind of bother me. Uh, just been a little moody, a little angsty. I had a therapy session today, which was really helpful. But, um, yeah, just been feeling a little, a little moody. Can't figure out why. I get a little, um, I guess, Upset's not the right word, but it's just easily easily triggered for me. Just just little things that kind of like pop off, and I don't like feeling like that because I'm generally a very easygoing guy and magical. Because <laughs> I was just trying to find another M word, but I uh, met my four day old niece yesterday. Aww, that uh, is magical, little Madeline. Because just childbirth and just babies is just especially during this hell of a year is just magical to me. Um, yeah, she is four days old. Yeah, so that was magical meeting Madeline. Magical meeting Madeline. She is uh, just a little cutie, little little eight pound cutie. And I was able to see my other niece and nephew, uh, Charlie and Lily. And then my other niece wasn't there, Sophie. So I have four nibblings now running around. And uh, yeah, it's just really exciting and great to be with them. And then just got to see Katie, who you know, friend of the show. And it was just really nice, and it's just uh, just this year has been so difficult and so painful in so many ways. Not only just what everything that's going on right now in the world, but also just for myself that it was. I felt really grateful to be in that moment with her, and I got to feed her and hold her for a while, and it was really it was really sweet and nice, and I had a good time. So it was very magical. And the baby's like not a jerk or anything. The baby's not a jerk yet. Yeah, she's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. If the baby was a jerk, I'd be like, "All right, Katie, take this baby back." Like, but I don't like this one. <laughs> this baby kind of sucks. But no, this, this she was really she actually just slept and ate. That's all she cared about. Which I was like, sounds like me. What a <laughs> what a dream world to be held by somebody who's very you know strong, strapping and, young lad. Yeah, to be held by a strong strapping young lad, and then to be fed and just sleep. Like, that would be amazing if someone would just hold me and feed me. I would love that. That's actually my dream. Like, as a To do that to me? Yes. (laughs) It's all coming out now. The truth's coming out. Is this a new app? No, I just... Yeah, I would love somebody to just, like, feed me and put me to sleep. And then maybe sleep, like, 
18 hours a day, however yeah. long babies sleep. Right, that baby was that seems knocked appropriate out. for me. But yeah, she was so cute, and it was so it was so great to just see my sister and brother in law with, you know, all three of their children. And they said, because my sister and brother in law both wanted three kids, and they said now their family feels complete. Aww. So it feels really nice to have that. And I did see a Sarah Silverman joke that I really liked after I hung out with the children was that she said the only thing I love more than kids is doing anything I want at all times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I thought that was perfect because I do love. All the my little nibblings, yeah. So the four nibblings are around. It's just a lot of fun, and I am just yeah. So it felt very magical. So yeah, a little moody today, but yesterday was magical, and it's still I still feel that from yesterday. I still keep going back and looking at the pictures and just being like, God, she is so wonderful and cute and precious, and I just she has no idea what this world is like right now. But I hope that we can, you know, cultivate an environment that's welcoming and loving for her and she's got a great family already so with my my sister and brother-in-law and her two siblings so i'm just uh i'm excited for her even though i'm worried about the whole world i'm excited for her and uh i'm excited to be continue my responsibilities as the fun uncle where all i do is just entertain them i just wear them out just chase them wrestle do you do with them voices do do all my voices and they just get worn out and they love it like the first thing they want to do is just play tag Right when I get there, I just want to play tag. That's all I want to do. See, I have a hard time doing repetitive activities with children. Oh, I can go forever. Like I if, just get, I get bored. If I can, I'm a child, I get I, bored. If I can just chase them and just make loud, weird noises the entire time, they love it. Like, for yeah, a, you're like a cartoon for them. Yeah, basically. <laughs> you are kind of cartoonish. Thank you, Lizzie. That's really sweet of you. <laughs> In a good way. <laughs> Well, yeah, so moody and magical. Cool. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. BRB! Two Nights in a Pod is a program dedicated to talking about the real stuff. The stigma of mental illness, how we tend to our mental health, and how our brains define and empower us. Hosted by Lizzie and Emery, Two Nuts in a Pod can be found on podcast streaming devices such as iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and CastBox. In addition to podcast streaming services, Two Nuts in a Pod is a proud member of Forward Radio. 1065 WFMPLP is committed to broadcasting the voices of those groups and individuals in our community who are routinely ignored by the mainstream media, promoting understanding and collaboration among diverse groups, supporting our efforts to network, organize, and strengthen our community and our democracy. Forward Radio is a volunteer-powered, listener-supported station, and we need your contributions. Just go to forwardradio.org to donate or get involved. All right, everybody, we are back, and we are interviewing someone who's chosen to be anonymous, so we'll be calling her A for this episode. So we're just going to launch right into it. We have some tough topics we're covering today. Um, Again, trigger warning for people who may have experienced child abuse. We'll be discussing that today. So, A, could you kind of take us to the beginning and talk about where your traumas started? Yeah. I think it's important to start kind of by describing uh, the family dynamic. I was raised um, very briefly, my mom being single, um, and then... She divorced my father, who's an alcoholic, when I was three months old, and by the time I was three, maybe four, she started dating um, someone significantly younger than her. There's a ten-year difference between the two of them. So it was my mom, my older sister, who's six years older than me and myself, so my mom had, you know, started a relationship with this individual, and... I want to say that even at the early ages of like three and four, I remember him being really fun and really friendly, really engaging with me as a child. I feel like he was there a lot more than even my mom was early on. And when I was five, they got married and... My mom, shortly thereafter, became pregnant. So I have a half-sister who's six years younger than I am, and that's her father. And uh, I guess to start with, like, how it all began, there's 
a term called grooming. And for those of you that don't or unfamiliar with the term, grooming is when someone builds a relationship, trust, emotional connection with a child or younger person so they can manipulate, exploit, and abuse them. Children and young people who are groomed can be sexually abused, exploited, or trafficked. So going back to him quickly gaining my trust um, early on in our relationship and then coming from, you know, my, the, not coming from, but like my, you have to understand my mom and her personality disorder that she has as well. It's not defined by a mental health professional, but I'm going off things that I've learned and talking with therapists, kind of their theory on what issue she might have, and that's borderline personality disorder. That's a very erratic, narcissistic disorder. There's a lot of... It's a lot of manipulation, right? Yeah, it's a lot of manipulation. You know, I had a very different relationship with my mom versus my other sisters. So if you ask them how their relationship with her, they'll describe it very differently than what I experienced. Um, and that's that's pretty normal for a borderline parent that has multiple children to go through. She picked on me a lot. She manhandled me. Um, she was physically and mentally abusive to me. Not that she wasn't with my sisters, but oftentimes she would tell me that I reminded her of herself. Yeah. So then on top of that, there was a lot of jealousy. And there's not a specific thing that she would say that would come off the top of my head, but sometimes I think about it. And um, she would really have an emphasis on my my looks and tell me how attractive I was all the time, which is very uncomfortable and unusual for a mother to do, which kind of weighed into how my stepfather treated me as well. I think when you have a combination of someone who's a pedophile and someone with borderline personality disorder, it's like the most perfect concoction you can have because you have a pedophile who is grooming you to trust them and be the good person, and then you have the other caretaker who is um, the bad guy, the very abusive one, the individual that, or I guess the one who disciplines you. So you said that there were grooming behaviors uh, for people who don't know, like what did, what did that look like? Well, it started off very innocent and that was when I would get in trouble, he would comfort me. And then, and then it progressed later. So he spent years like building up trust with us, with my older sister and I, um, because this unfortunately happened to her as well, and uh, possibly my younger sister, his daughter, but that's unconfirmed. But he spent years, like, building trust with us, making him the person that we go to when, when my mom was not there for us. And then progressively it turned into, like, us staying up late at night until three in the morning watching pornography together. And that started in, I want to say around like seven years old. Um, wow. Yeah. And that happened quite often. My mom would be in bed. My sister wouldn't be there. And we would just sit in the living room and watch porn together. And he would just like normalize that. Yeah. Yeah, he he definitely normalized that for me. And you didn't know it, like... Oh, I had no you idea. You don't know at that age. I thought it was very interesting, and I was like, what are they doing? And I would laugh, and and he wouldn't say much, but he would always have me right on his lap. And then there were times to... Actually, I guess at five, I can remember taking a bath with him, and no one would, of course, be home... And we would take baths together, and I remember, like, playing with the rag, and, like, he would cover himself, and then we had a game where I would take the rag off, and, like, it would show him, and then he would grab it back from me, and we, like, did that over and over several times. I 
there were a lot of those. I'm trying to think of of other things. He always kind of just played the savior because my mom was never there emotionally for us. He manipulated my mom, obviously, too. So while she does play in a huge part of what happened, she's also, I see, as a victim as well. She didn't make a lot of money. Here comes this man who's younger than her, who's showing her a lot of attention, who's interested in her because, she, in despite her having two children. And then he comes in, and he comes in with a... A secure job and he's working hard and he's trying to provide for the family or so it looks like and you know I, he was very good at what he did I actually have a theory again not I'm not a mental health professional but that he has antisocial disorder and then dangerous beha- behavior patterns of anti- someone who has antisocial personality disorder is being a sociopath or a psychopath. And he really fits the mold of being a psychopath. I think a lot of people throw that term around with not really understanding or knowing the true definition of that. But it's like an ingrained pattern of behavior in which individuals constantly disregard and violate the rights of others and other people around them. Yeah, so it doesn't mean that you're a serial killer. I think people conflate and think a psychopath is a serial killer or a murderer, Mm -hmm. but it's just a personality trait. It doesn't, you know, define any behaviors from there. The behaviors are kind of symptoms of the the issue. Right. Of the personality issue. Yeah. And, you know, some days I'm, I'm really scared of him in a way of like if I were to ever come forward with this information which I have not yet and I don't know that I ever intend to and I'll talk about that and the reasoning behind that a little later but I've watched him manipulate a group of women almost my whole life into believing that what he's doing and this is words that came out of his mouth when we confronted him as a family He was helping us with our sexuality. Hmm. And as a matter of fact, he, to this day, still denies that he ever did anything to me because I was the one that came out about it first and stirred the pot. And I was going through a lot. It was in my early 20s. I was, you know, um, very reckless, uh, drank a lot, partied a lot. I was always painted as, like, the black sheep of my family, so it was very easy for him to deny those accusations. And then my mom, on top of it, not backing me up. You know, I I do say that she's a victim, but I do hold her accountable because she knew it was going on. She knew, she knew when my older sister was 16 years old and told her, and she didn't want to believe that that was happening. And then I came to her the last time that he touched me and I was 18 years old and confronted her about it. And she gave me the ultimatum of, okay, well you can go to the police. That's your choice. Or you can just keep this information with me because your younger sister is going through a lot because we're getting divorced. She's 13 years old. She's hit in puberty. So it was, I was even manipulated in that situation as well. And I, you see that a lot in, and I've always wondered how realistic it is, but in like films and in, in TV shows that the partner of the person who's the abuser will kind of try to sweep things under the rug. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, you know, do you think it was just the amount of control that he had over her emotions? I think it was a combination. Some of that jealousy maybe coming back up. Absolutely. Yep. She even told me that at one point that she called us disgusting. And she said that she couldn't believe that, you you know, him and I would do something like that to her. And that's part of what I'm assuming she has is borderline personality disorders, defense mechanism coming out and saying, I'm the victim in all of this. And, you know, the narcissistic part of that 
disorder. But also just shows that you have no support there and you have no one advocating on your behalf at all. And so this was, you said this started with him, was it five or six years old? And you said all the way till 18, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really long time. And that's a lot of formative years. It's like, no wonder in your early 20s, you had to go through so much because it's like you had no safe foundation of what love looks like. None at all. Well, I say none at all, but I I actually had some really incredible grandparents. My grandmother, who's 94 years old, still alive and kicking. She's um, taking care of my, my alcoholic 60-year-old father, who's they're living together, and that's a whole other toxic situation. But I did have her and my grandfather. He, unfortunately, passed away to cancer when I was 13, um, but he was probably the best ideal father figure that I had. Um, it was a very safe environment, and thankfully I was over there quite a bit. But but it almost, like, doesn't... I mean, it obviously doesn't make up for yeah. the trauma that I experienced. But at least I had an, an inf of love enough to know. I think that's why I'm so self-aware in that I finally learned to put healthier relationships in in my life. It took me a while to get there. I also, you know, had various friends growing up that um, their parents were extremely sweet and invited me in with open arms, and I was able to witness a lot of um, good families. And then I kind of, in high school, grew up in church uh, and made that choice to, to join a church. And although I don't identify with religion now, I, I think it was really helpful and beneficial, and I found a lot of support there, too. So how old were you when it actually crossed over into physical abuse? And then further, when was it something that you realized was wrong? Because I'm sure it could have happened before you were at the maturity level to even know what was happening. Yeah. The first recollection that I have of an actual event where he touched me, I was I was five. And then I haven't been able to remember anything in between that, between being uh, five and, and 18 the last time that it happened. I do have some, you know, some part of sexual intimacy that I have issues with, and I think it's directly related to that. Um, And I've done some therapy that I think unveils the truth in that, but an actual memory of it I don't have. I was almost 16 years old when I had my first boyfriend, and uh, it was a little bit confusing to me being in a relationship with that individual because there were a lot of aspects of it that were the attention that he was showing me were kind of similar to the way that my my stepdad showed me and that's when I became a little bit curious and then it became really apparent that what I had gone through was not normal when I went on to our home computer to search something on the internet and found child pornography. Mm. And uh, and then upon searching further into the computer, I found pictures of myself on bodies of other individuals of my face. So my face, sorry, my face was on the bodies of other individuals, so pictures that he had taken offline. Were they like pictures of... They were naked. Mature, like, older women? No. Or just other children? Yeah. You you said you were 16? I was 16 when I found those, yeah. Uh, And then that was kind of the forefront of figuring out that something wasn't right. And I told my mom about it. And then shortly thereafter, they got a divorce... And I was under the impression that that's why they got a divorce, which was not the case, actually. So I'm 
kind of discussing these things with my first boyfriend at the time. And he's like, that's not normal. That's not, something's wrong. Like, this is not supposed to be happening. And uh, I kind of left it at that. And I was reading a book at the time that I had this discussion with him called Hush. It was the first book that I ever read. It's kind of like a self-help book. And it's by Nicole Bromley. And um, she was a Christian writer. And she spoke about her um, her abuse. And it was tied into religion. And I got the idea that because God forgives all the sins in the world, that I should just forgive him. So I stuffed all of the abuse down in my subconscious and went on about it and continued to have a relationship with him. And especially after my mom didn't do really much or say much about the, um, pornography that I told her that was on the computer. So when I was 18, um, at this point we still had a relationship. I had fallen asleep on the couch over his house and, uh, then he touched me and I could not move. I was frozen, and that's um, a pretty common reaction. You know, you have your flight, fight, or freeze, and I froze. Mm. And I was terrified that he was going to rape me or kill me or all the above. And my little sister was in her room, and, you know, I still have a lot of guilt because... I wanted to go and get her and take her out of the house and run away. And, uh, and I couldn't. And then I went to my mom and I told her what happened. And that's when she gave me the, the decision to tell police or keep it a secret for my little sister's behalf. And, um, of course she went over there and, uh, they reasoned with each other. He said he would go to therapy for it, seek help for it. Of course, he never did. At which point, I wrote everyone off. Yeah. And that's when I knew. It was confirmation that that this happened. Man, it's it's almost like there was no there was no one in the house to give you that reality check because you were in their re- reality, mm-hmm. which was very distorted. And I mean, it's it's no surprise that you suppress a lot of those memories. Yeah. So you talked about, uh, going through that through childhood and then through your teenage years as well. And then you talked about earlier, you mentioned about in your early twenties, kind of having, you know, there's your party days going out, drinking, those type of things. And I was wondering how, what happened in your past, especially with your stepfather and mother, how that has impacted how that impacted your relationships in your twenties and maybe even how that's impacted your relationships today. Yeah. I, uh, I was very reckless. I used a lot of people. I was in and out of some serious relationships, but there were a lot of times where I, I was using alcohol as medication. And I think I kind of did that up until I was 30 they were very toxic relationships. I've been married and divorced. I was very, very promiscuous, which I still get judgment for, especially living in a small town. You know, a lot of people talk and there's rumors and that's very difficult. I'm still struggling with that in my current relationship. You know, it's like I did the best that I could to get over what I was trying to get over. Mm-hmm. And didn't even know where to begin to create a solid support group and support system for myself. I, I fled a lot. So I moved around. I went to Cincinnati. I went to St. Louis. I went to Chicago. And then the interesting part that's kind of surprising to myself is that I have been in and out of therapy since I was 16. So almost 20 years of off and on therapy. Uh, and I've, learned a lot along the way and I was I'm really grateful for this year although despite you know I mean a lot of people are in some really really bad situations but fortunate for me I was able to take a step back and be like you know what let's invest in yourself let's take initiative to really 
really work on therapy. And so that's kind of what I've been doing up until this point to kind of heal from, you know, not only the childhood trauma, but like healing from the, the grief that I had and the way that I've lived up until this point. I was going to say, it's like, it's nice to, even though we're, you know, the world is crazy right now, if it gives you a chance to like hit the pause button, because we don't get that chance in life very much. Like we just keep moving and surviving. And when you're working full time and just trying to adults, like there's really not a lot of time for self-reflection. Like you have to make the time. Right. So I think it's great. Like, like you said, investing in yourself is like taking the time to do that and actually like process a lot of stuff. Yeah. That's Um, really amazing. I go to therapy twice a week, two different therapists. One is a licensed massage therapist and the other one is a mental health professional. And we both work on trauma related therapies. You know, I had a, an intention of coming on the show to kind of share some of those therapies that I've been through and things that have helped me in the event that there's a mental health professional with an individual who is experienced the same thing. And maybe some of the things that I share with you guys will help that individual or just another listener who is brave enough to listen to me, tell my story. Who's a survivor. So there's EMDR, which I think a lot of therapists now in, in our city offer. It stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I actually learned about this in 2011 when I was living in Chicago and I had a therapist uh, introduce it to me. And then I wanted to continue that here. So it's a psychotherapy that enables people to heal from uh, the symptoms and emotional distress, distress that are the result of a disturbing life experiences. So the client is asked to share a vivid visual image relating to the memory and then a negative belief about the self and then a related emotional and body sensation. And then the ultimate goal is to try to turn the negative belief into a positive by reimagining the situation. So, for example, I confront I'm the visual image that I'm confronting my mom when she's upset and she rejects my comfort that makes me feel like I'm not lovable and that's my negative belief and the related emotions associated with that sometimes I'll feel anxiousness tightness sadness or loneliness and then I can turn that negative belief into a positive one so, you know, I was able to turn the negative belief that I'm not lovable by reimagining the situation that my mom, my mom actually takes my comfort or sometimes I'll take it and I'll say that, or I'll envision me as an adult comforting my child self and telling my child self that I'm okay. It's not my fault. It's her own issue and I'm safe, not alone. And I, and I love you. Mm. Another type of therapy is called sorry for the emdr so Mm -hmm. that's where while you're doing it they're kind of they're moving the eye movement part is that they're using some sort of object or maybe their hand to actually move your eyes horizontally while you're recalling something right there's different versions of it so there's um the version where the therapist will use their hands and go back and forth and then there's a light that they can use. I use some sort of electrical device. So like pulsers. Yeah. Pulsers in each hand. And then my eyes are closed. Mm. Yeah. So it kind of, I've heard that it, it almost puts you in a dreamlike state where you don't feel as many strong emotion. You don't feel the overwhelming emotions of the memory that you're a bit more relax and you've also done some work foundational work to create like a safe place in your head and right but no well there's yes and no so it's very it can be very visceral like I can smell things from the exact moment Mm -hmm. it's it's very very intense work depending on I mean it's it's different for some people some some uh things that I work on 
it's not that intense. It depends on from a scale from one to ten how I'm feeling about it. And as you work your way down the scale for one specific issue, it gets less intense. Mm, gotcha. And then you start to do more of the turning the negative belief into a positive one. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, we're going to talk about okay. another therapy. Yeah, no, that's okay. IFS, so internal family systems. Okay, so internal family systems help you discover the inner critics. So, like the I'm not lovable, um, there's the abandoned child, the pleaser, the angry part, the loving caretaker, there might be others. Uh, it discovers that every part of you has a positive intent, no matter how problematic it might be. Mm-hmm. I like to identify them as the inner child instead of the inner critic, because I think critic sometimes has a negative connotation on it. Child makes me feel like it's something I can work with on a positive level. But this is kind of a silly example, but I did work on this in therapy. Uh, there was a period of time where I was single and I was going on dates. I was spending an infinite amount of time on dating apps. I mean, I, I wasn't working. I was sitting at my desk, uh, spending so much time, giving my energy and time to these individuals, uh, in hopes that it fulfilled my loneliness. And ultimately I wanted someone to love me. Right. So I shared that with my therapist And she shared IFS with me and, and we identified that the abandoned child was hurting and ultimately the abandoned child was trying to protect me as an adult from feeling lonely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I, I kind of use IFS, what I've learned in that in my EMDR work to take a positive spin on me imagining my child self and as an adult comforting that child. Yeah. So one of the, did you guys have any questions about, about that? Mm-mm. Keep rolling. Okay. Lastly, I'm doing a therapy that has actually been around since the nineties. It's called trauma touch therapy. And a little bit ago I said, I was seeing a licensed massage therapist in a, t- in a, mental health professional. So I have a licensed massage therapist that I do trauma touch therapy with. Uh, She's actually the only therapist in five surrounding states that offers this. Uh, Her name is Sydney Sled. And the reason why this type of therapy can only be performed by a massage therapist, because by law, mental health professionals are not allowed to touch you. And this involves touch. Mm. To break it down, TTT bridges the gap between the body and the mind when working through trauma. You work with the sensations of the body, and the first step is finding out why, or finding our way out of the head into the body. Uh, You work with the therapist to attach aspects of your traumatic experience to feelings, memories, and sensations that exist within the body. So there's visualization, there's movement, breath work and therapeutic touch. Uh, And one or all of these can be offered during one treatment. It kind of just depends on what technique will be provided to best kind of access the body's wisdom. I've been working with Sydney since May. Uh, So this has to go hand in hand with a mental health professional because she requires that you have a mental health professional and some sort of support group. I... Uh, So sometimes during TTT, I'll have an experience or a new discovery and the information, I then take the information to like EMDR to work on what I found. And uh, it's kind of, it's pretty all encompassing. I'd say you get to take the thoughts, images, memories, one step further by letting the body react to how it really wanted to act during the traumatic situation. Mm. So going back to that time when my stepdad last touched me, I was fr- frozen. I couldn't move. And we've worked in the, the touch trauma therapy or the trauma touch therapy through that situation where I get up immediately. Mm. So yeah. she will actually put force on my feet while they're bent back. Does that 
Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you guys? So, so to I'm feel laying like you're down. standing? No, so I'm laying down, and my knees are bent up, and she's putting resistance on my feet so that I can push up with, like, the, like, a strong kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, a strong force to know that, like, no, this is my body, and I get to get up, and you don't get to touch me. Yeah. Hmm. That's so powerful. It is very powerful. Yeah. Um, it's a very, very unique therapy. Not a lot of people know about it here yet. I think it's extremely beneficial, and it's groundbreaking for my complex trauma. I'm starting to feel the effects of, you know, all this therapy that I'm doing finally in a very beneficial way. I see it working through my partnership with my boyfriend. I see it working through finally having self-compassion for myself and wanting to care for myself in a way that I hadn't always done in the past, you know, like drinking, smoking, unclean house, wouldn't take showers, wouldn't brush my teeth. Oh yeah. Like the numbing and just not no self-care. Yeah. 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 I mean, I do that just for my anxiety and depression. I still do it. It's, it's a work in progress trying not to take those ways out. And so just to review the, the, you listed three uh, forms of therapy. Can Mm -hmm. you just say them again? Yeah. So there's EMDR and IFS internal family systems. I do both of those with a mental health professional. And then with the licensed massage therapist, Sydney sled, I do trauma touch therapy. Thank you. And if you guys have like notes or something that you post with yeah, each we'll do show, show notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have some books, um, things that I've read in the past, things that I'm reading now. I don't want to overwhelm individuals, but no, we'll throw them in there. Yeah, okay. send it to us, and we'll we'll throw them in there. Yeah, yeah, good. We'll you know, I think it's important to point out too. Um, there's a lot of shame that goes with the trauma that you experience when it, whether it being sexual, physical, mental and shame is never your fault, but being responsible for the shame is important to your recovery and healing. I'm lucky that I was self-aware enough to take the steps that I needed to to start my healing process. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think it's really going to help people. And I think it's good for people to know that it's a lifetime journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's when this stuff happens, you know, especially when you're in such a fragile state, when you're still a child um, or a young adult, that that stuff stays in your body. It stays in your brain. And there's no reason to feel bad if however long it takes you. Yeah. And it's probably always going to be with you to some extent, but that there's things that can help. There's a lot of like really creative therapies. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had no idea about trauma touch therapy. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. So let's talk gratitudes guys. We just had some, we talked some heavy stuff. Let's end on that, that thankfulness part. So Emery, you want to start with gratitudes? Sure. Uh, I will say that I am, uh, my gratitude is for A, for our guest here today, um, and for sharing your story and just being so vulnerable and open with us and audience members who, you know, this can be incredibly impactful for them as well. And I just, I think there's there's few things that make me more angry than individuals who abuse their power and abuse their power over others. And But to see the person you've become and, and how hard you've worked and what you've done is really inspiring. And it just, that's, yeah, that's what I'm grateful for. I'm, I'm really, really proud of you and really happy for you. And I, I wish you the best. And I just, uh, I feel very inspired by your story. And even though our experiences are different, I just, I find, I find it to be very inspiring. And I think it'll be very, very helpful for many people. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, you stole mine. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) But I could tell you were, I could tell, I could see that anger when we were sitting here listening. I could see that 
there was like physical discomfort you were experiencing. Yeah, from eating, and, and from worked, listening. And yeah. I, you know, I was a, I was a former teacher, and I you know I, I work with a lot of youth still, and it's just uh, I mean that's something that's a passion of mine is is youth development and youth empowerment, and it just um, it's very very frustrating and upsetting to hear of others who would do that to children. And but I'm I'm glad you're here today to tell your story. Thank you. And I'm grateful for you as a friend. A, we've been friends for a long time, and um, just will echo what Emery said that I'm grateful that you had the bravery to come here and and tell the story. And I'm, I think that it leaves me feeling grateful in general, just for like human resilience. That like whenever I hear of something really horrifying that that happened, especially to someone who I love, like you, it it can be really upsetting but it it comforts me a little bit to know that people are so resilient and that there are therapies you can do to help and nothing is beyond what we can get over yeah you know it's just finding the right ways to do it Mm -hmm. so yeah that's what I'm grateful for what about you a um I'm grateful for my strength I wouldn't have been able to probably do this without being angry or getting upset, you know, a few years ago, but I've kind of done a lot of research and looked at every angle to understand. I mean, this is generational trauma. Like my mom just wasn't borderline personality disorder overnight and he didn't become, you know, a pedophile overnight. Like they have their issues as well. And, I'm just also grateful that I'm able to break the cycle. Yeah. Hmm. That's deep. All right. Well, we are actually out of time for today. Again, A, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, If anyone wants to reach out to A, just shoot us an email, I guess. Yeah. All right, guys. We'll keep talking about your feelings, and we'll see you soon. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Two Nuts in a Pod on Forward Radio. Please keep in mind that we are not mental health professionals, and all of our opinions are based on our personal experiences. If you'd like to speak to a trained professional, call National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. The crisis line is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Original theme music for Two Nuts in a Pod was composed by Neil Lucas. 